Hey guys, welcome back to The Ruin Rabbit. This is episode 109. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and be aware there are spoilers. For those of you new to the show, The Ronin Rabbit is a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast. You can tweet me at Teal Productions, T-E-A-L. The Usagi Ojimbo Dojo Facebook page is where I post episodes. BigTimeNoise.com slash Ronin Rabbit is the website for the episodes. And UsagiPodcast at gmail.com if you want to email any comments. Now today we have two stories, both of them from... Usagi Ojimbo, issue 33, uh, from the third volume, the Dark Horse Comics volume, cover dated November 1999. The first story is entitled A Potter's Tale, and our dramatis personae for that tale are Mayamoto Usagi, Chiozo and Herue, a uh, married potter's uh, couple, man and wife, Samu, a thief, and merchant Izumoji. Now we open on the very first page. Nine panels of pottery making by Usagi. We see a couple implements. We see some methodology. We see Usagi smiling broadly, holding a pot that he just made. Now the next page, um, or two pages, is kind of cool. The upper half of both pages is one panel across. And then below that, on the Right and left pages are two panels on the left and then three panels beneath on the right. And I just kind of like that left to right full spread panel on the top. And then you go to the left and read those beneath. And then you go to the right beneath and read those. It kind of breaks up. uh, Plus the strict nine panel grid on the first page is interesting too. Nine panels is kind of what you are quote-unquote supposed to do in comics, but uh, Mr. Sakai doesn't standardly do that, and it, it we see a variety here in the first three pages of presentation, uh, making it just very different to the eye. But on that half-page spread across both pages, Usagi's holding up his pot, and both Tiozo and Herue are complimenting him on his quick grasping of the the uh, techniques of pottery making. And then behind and among the three of them, we see that they are in a pottery, um, I guess, shop or a pottery making a little building that this couple has either way. Uh, we also see that Tiozo is uh, making a pot himself as well. He's looking at Usagi speaking and making a pot. We find out here through the story that that's what these two do. They make pottery for a living. And we find that they've run into some tough times and Usagi is going to attempt to help them out with their difficulties. That, that That's the, the main, uh, that's the elevator pitch, I guess, for the story. Usagi um, thanks them for letting him stay a few days, and he says helping with the pottery is the least he can do in return for that. In addition, he finds the making of pottery fascinating. It's, you know, like a lot of us, it's one of those things that we think are cool and we've never really delved into, so his opportunity to really see the inside workings of this kind of, uh, he, he enjoys that. Learning something new, he, he definitely enjoys and the uh, the man to also says, well, you may find it interesting, but most people don't. I, I wish they did. Uh, then maybe our wares would sell better. And his wife 
Heroye. I apologize if I'm not getting these names correct. Uh, if someone out there does know, please send in a pronunciation for me, and I'll, I'll attempt to do better in the future with some of these names. Uh, the problem is that our pots look like everyone else's. We must find some way to make them distinctive. If they were unique, we may even be able to sell them through Merchant Izumoji, the successful broker. And I mentioned him as, as one of our personae to keep up with. Also, uh, I noticed that the wife is... Um, she is the power behind the potter's wheel. She is standing off to the side holding a pole that stretches off panel to the top, uh, moving it in circles as if she is moving some sort of contraption. This, in turn, is spinning, um, I guess, all the wheels in the building because Usagi was on one and... Tiozo is on another, and I don't believe they're the same one. So she is standing, moving, kind of like you would see, you know, somebody kind of like churning butter kind of motion, uh, only instead of the pole facing down, it goes up into the, the ceiling, the roof of the building that they're in. So I would be interested to find out just exactly how that works to move the pedestals that are set on the ground kind of an interesting not that i doubt that it works that way but man what is that mechanic uh, in order to do that we then switch to later that night where we see the thief samo uh, running from merchant izumoji's house with a bag uh, in tow apparently he has managed to get in and almost out uh, they, he was seen, and so they are desperately tracking him down now. But he has a bag of gold coins and a rather large jewel. The bag of coins he hides behind a water barrel outside of some house or uh, storefront or something like that. But now the jewel um, he wants to hide in a different place. So he starts moving around, still trying to evade the police, which we can tell that they are police because one of the men has been drawn carrying the uh, jite, which is the, it looks like that odd thing that looks like a trident with one of the outside prongs cut off, right? You have just the one main pole with a side U prong on it, just one. It's meant to be, uh, it, it initially was a weapon, um, that was designed to be used in the presence of the emperor uh, so that they the guards could be armed, but they couldn't really do a whole lot of physical uh, damage to the emperor with it. It then went on to be a... still could be used as a weapon, but it was meant more as a, um artifact or an ornament of office. Uh, having this showed that you were of particular ranks in... Uh, particular types of organizations, one of them being law enforcement. Now, I don't know, I, I, it, an inspector um, at one point level uh, carries that, but I believe there are certain lower levels also that would be able to carry it, just depending on the uh, way that your law enforcement force is organized in that particular town. But either way, that shows the person in charge. If they have that and they're shown to have that, that is the... Um, head person for whatever's going on. And it's kind of cool that we have an opportunity to see that. So Samo is still running around, runs into the potter's um, shed. 
uh, workplace uh, where Usagi and Tioso and Haruye just uh, recently were. And he's looking around and he sees the pots that are drying and takes the gem and pushes it into the bottom of one of the pots. Uh, just, you know, one of the pots pulled off the drying rack. And in order to be able to tell it, he pinches the lip into like a, a spout shape and then puts it back because none of the others have this. They're all straight vertical at the lip. They don't have that protrusion. So that will allow him to tell which of the pots uh, the jewel is in because he's he's pinched the lip. He runs off, sheds some of his clothing, some of his uh, thieving clothing that would have hid his hair, his face, would have darkened his body. He throws all that off, so he now looks like a more normally attired townsperson walking around, albeit pretty late at night, which is suspicious of its own. And so much so that the officer and his um, his entourage of police officials see Samo and take him in for questioning. The next day, Tioso uh, is awake and he's going over. We, we have a small panel seeing him walking from his house to his workshop. And he cries out when he's in the workshop, comes running back. And he, he shows this bowl uh, that was on the drying rack in the workshop that has this this thing, this spout on it. And they recognize the bowl as, oh, well, that was one of the ones you made, Usagi. And he's like, perhaps, but I don't remember doing that to the top and putting a spout in it. But the wife, Herue, she says, how simple, but it changes the bowl. What an innovation. We should put spouts on all our wares. So perhaps this is the thing that will um, allow their pottery to stand out from the other makers, uh, the very thing that they were feel that they needed to do in order to make their wares more sellable. So they immediately rush out to the shop uh, and, and pinch spouts into all of the different pieces of pottery that are drying that are this latest batch that they're going to try to take to sell. Then we have several panels showing us process where the pottery is taken out and dried in the sun, and Usagi is helping this entire time. Uh, a glaze is applied to the pottery. We see that. And then all of the pieces are arranged in an oven. And the oven is about twice as tall as Usagi, and the diameter is probably two or three times Usagi's height. Uh, side to side in either way. So it's a big circular hut kind of thing, right? It's completely enclosed. It's got a door and then it's got a small access port uh, hole in the side. So they put all the pots in there. They um, seal the oven with stone, the, the uh, door that they use to put all the pots in it. Hiruye takes and fires the oven through that hole on the side, uh, introducing, she probably is introducing embers to start a fire. And that's all we see from this. But another uh, instance where I would be really interested to see exactly how this works and what they're doing, particularly since the oven is so big, I'm, I'm, that really surprised me. Uh, so the next day, they open it up, they take all the stones down, and they go inside and get the pots, which all turned out very well. Uh, Tioso is very, very happy with how the pottery turned out. So happy, in fact, that he tells Hiruye to go get the cart 
which I thought was just kind of odd that she had to be the mule to go get the cart. But she does. And uh, the the couple and Usagi start loading up the cart to take the wares to market. Now we cut to the police station there in town, and we see that Samo is being released, but the official is going to be keeping an eye on him because he still feels that he was up to something, but he can't prove anything. No evidence. The questioning, Samo answered all the questions appropriately, and so... Now, uh, freed of his quasi-incarceration, he starts going around to collect the booty that he had hidden. First goes to the barrel, uh, collects the bag of gold coins, and then as he's going towards the potter's um, shed, he sees that they are, this time it's Tioso with the cart, taking all the pots to market. And he, uh, Samo grabs one, that has a spout and says, oh, I would like to buy this one. And Tioso is like, sure, well, yeah. And then Samo looks and he, he starts looking and he notices that all of the pots have spouts. So now what he thought was a identifying marker is common. So he kind of stutters and thinks and he's not sure what to do, but he's got to get this jewel because the jewel was the, the biggest part of the booty. Uh, it apparently was worth much more than the sack of gold that he got. So he's thinking, and he tells the merchant Tioso that he'll, um, let's see, he'll buy the whole cart. I'll buy it all. And the cart. Just how much? And so he ends up giving the gold bag to Tioso, who takes it home. And he and Hurie and Usagi are just beside themselves with this uh, financial boon that the couple has run into, but they still are not sure what to do to continue this, right? To keep this going as a merchant, uh, one time does not mean anything, you know, it's, it's long term. And so they really believe based on, you know, this guy coming up and wanting to buy them all that they have really hit on something and they should go to merchant Izumoji to represent them to sell their pots. Well, they're just plain, um, common folk, artisans, I guess you could say, and they it is not their place to go seek audience with Izumochi because he is uh, a higher mm, higher level. He is, um, yeah, wow, the words are just completely merchant, but that's not class. There we go. He's a higher class individual than they are. But Usagi says, well, how about I speak for you? I speak on your behalf because the samurai is a, a higher class, you know, really than most anything you're going to find in most of the villages. I don't imagine that you would find higher class individuals until you get to bigger cities and you get to actual governmental administrators being higher than samurai. Ronin though he be, samurai he still is. So, so uh, this is the plan. They go to Izumoji with Usagi acting as the intermediary. Uh, indeed, Uzumoji thinks that this is a wonderful idea. He likes the quality and the craftsmanship of the pots so much that the one that they bring him, which is the one that Tioso found first uh, when he showed it to the wife, she put it aside as being uh, the, the type specimen, as it were, of the pottery and holding a special place. 
Well, I believe that the reason all this is occurring with this pot is this is probably the one that's got the jewel in it. Because um, Izumoji takes it and he places it in a sacred alcove in his house that used to house the jewel, but now will house this beautiful piece of pottery that he is going to sell for these potters, Chiozo and Hirue. Meanwhile, out in the woods, Samo is breaking pot after pot after pot after no jewel. And as he's sifting through, you know, all the little shards here in his in his pile that he's made, the gang that he runs with comes up. And they're a bit upset because Samu pulled this caper without them. Uh, normally, any individual in the um, gang that does something, the spoils are divvied up amongst the gang members. But the reason he didn't want them involved is he didn't want to split the booty. So each of them has something to say here, basically saying, um, we hear you did this. We want our share. If not, we'll take it out of your hide. And he has no share. He can't find the jewel. He gave away the gold coins, so he has nothing. Needless to say, the gang then starts taking their share out of his hide, which we don't see specifically, but in the panel we see the words slug, biff, pow, gouge, ow, oof, ow, eek, pummel, bam, pow, slam. So he is really uh, getting the once-over, as it were, for not involving the gang and doing something and not even having anything to share with them. All right, on to the second story, which is the missive. And the dramatis personae here are Katsuichi, Shunji, and a young Usagi, and a fourth person that I will name drop at the end of the story. So we open with Katsuichi receiving a message. Um, several interesting facts here to notice. The first is that Katsuichi is wearing the tsuba as the eye patch, which puts this as a later Katsuichi, probably current. This is currently happening. And as the story plays out, we see that is indeed the case. So this is Katsuichi now. Uh, the other interesting thing is the messenger. Now, the messenger, as he's walking away, we see he has a staff. And on top of the staff, we see those large metal rings, I, I believe, which are evocative of the uh, perhaps Buddhist priests that used to walk with the rings. And the rings were used to uh, warn and jingle away, I believe, spirits was the point of it. So the message is delivered, uh, perhaps by a priest of some sort, to Katsuichi who is a sensei, but he's not really a priest that I know of. He's, he's more a hermit. Um, so, interesting little exchange there. I guess maybe the surest way of passing messages at this at, during, say, the, the Edo period of Japan was through the, uh, the temples and the, the priests, I guess. I, I'm, I'm not sure there. Uh, but then we're introduced to Shunji, who is the current student that Katsuichi is working with. And uh, he Katsuichi gives some correction to Shunji, who is uh, apparently practicing some katas, I believe. And he tells the student to go fix some tea while he reads this message and perhaps will share it with his student, which also is kind of curious because I didn't think that students like were viewed upon as deserving of that type of position. But he brings Katsuichi 
uh, some tea. Shunji does. Shunji does rather. And then he asks uh, the studentess about the letter. Uh, Katsuichi tells him that it involves Usagi, a former student, and someone named Nakamura Koji. Now we saw Nakamura in issue seven, I believe, if my notes are correct, which I talked about in episode eighty. Uh, he and Usagi dueled, and he actually beat Usagi and told Usagi to get a message to Katsuichi that he wanted to duel him again, as was relayed in that story in issue seven. They had dueled previously in life, and uh, Nakamura had lost. He wants to regain his honor by dueling again and hopefully defeating Katsuichi. So that's what this message is about. But it puts in mind a story uh, about Usagi because he feels that, you know, Usagi never should have gotten involved in any duel with Nakamura because I think that what Katsuichi feels is that Nakamura is, is better. And so, of course, Usagi lost and in dueling could even have lost his life. But he remembers um, this same aspects of Usagi, his brashness as a young uh, Padawan. No, I'm kidding. Uh, as a young student for Katsuichi. So we drift back in time to a point when Katsuichi has both of his eyes. And he and Usagi are walking along a river. And they see red in the river. And Usagi gets excited. He says, it must be a blood stain from a battle upriver. Come on, Sensei, let's go see the fighting before it's over. And Katsuichi tries to stop him, but Usagi hurries, Sensei. The waters are bright red here. The combat must be just around the bend. And again, Katsuichi tries to stop him. And finally, he yells, I said, wait. And because of the gravity of his voice, Usagi comes up short. Katsuichi speaks to him for a moment, but Usagi runs off again. Runs to the top of a knoll, looks down at that section of the river, and sees... Katsuichi tells him, you run headlong into situations you do not fully comprehend, Usagi. Fortunately, there is no harm to you this time. There was no battle, Katsuichi is telling Shunji as we come back to the current time. But there were people dying, or rather rinsing their dyed red fabrics to render them color fast. So... In rushing headlong, in not taking measure of the situation, um, in in one of his um, speakings to Usagi Katsuichi, asks him, "Can you hear the clash of swords? Do you smell blood in the wind? Feel tension, or smell blood in the air? Feel tension in the wind? You know, is there anything else to tell you that this battle is going on other than something red in the water?" And we see that no, it that that was the case. There was nothing going on. So finally, um, the teacher finishes drinking his tea, Katsuichi. He decides that he will go meet Nakamura Koji. And as he's stealing himself to start getting ready to prepare for either the duel or the journey or both, we see another uh, young student come up saying, Here I am, or uh, Katsuichi is asking Shunji where his other student is. And the student comes in and says, Here I am, Sensei, I was out fetching water. Are we going somewhere as he sees Katsuichi preparing? And the sensei responds, yes, we will soon leave on a journey, Jotaro. So there is uh, another of the dramatis personae for this 
short story Jotaro, who, those of you who are not in the know, is Usagi's son, which I don't think I really knew was with Katsuichi. I don't remember knowing that. So, uh, Some words. Um, I threw out the word Tsuba, which is what Katsuichi currently is using as an eye patch. The Jit, or Jut, depending on how it's spelled, which is the weapon of office, the symbolic weapon for these police officials, typically. Uh, and Sensei, we've seen that before. Teacher. Now here in the back, uh, for those of you that want to, you know, that aren't that interested, by all means, see you next time. For those of you that are, we have some story notes and some reference notes here by Mr. Sakai. He tells us many believe Japan to have the oldest ceramics tradition in the world. Based on carbon dating, it goes as far back as 10,000 BC with the Jomon or cord-marked pottery. Unlike in the West, Japanese pottery is admired as fine art on a par with painting and sculpture as well for its utilitarian purposes. A single teacup crafted by a master potter could command as high a price as 25,000 koku by feudal lords. And he tells us a koku is the amount of rice needed to feed a man for a full year. So that's 25,000 foods to feed a man for a year. So 25,000 man years. Different areas are known for their unique pottery. Mishiko, a village northeast of Tokyo, is renowned for sturdy pieces of glazed stoneware. Shigaraki is famous for large stone jars. The Arita district of Kyushu, Japan's southernmost island, is known for its fine porcelain and is considered the nation's ceramics capital. Toyotomi, the great unifier of Japan during the latter 16th century, led an unsuccessful invasion of Korea, and many Korean artisans were taken back to Japan. The Arita porcelain industry was, a found, was founded by these Korean artisans. Today, the wares from the Arita kilns are known as Imari ware, after the port from which they're shipped. The major differences between ceramics and porcelain has to do with the materials used and the firing temperatures. Ceramic pieces consist primarily of clay and are baked at 1,000 degrees centigrade, Porcelain is made of a finely crushed quartz feldspar and kaolin and fired above 1,300 degrees centigrade. Now, for the references, he indicates the Dawns of Tradition, uh, published in 1983 by Nissan Motor Company of Japan, has a wonderful overview and focuses on two schools with beautiful photographs of potters at work. In Japan, Day by Day by Edward S. Morris, 1990, Cherokee Publishing of Atlanta, Georgia, the author describes in detail visits to several schools and kilns. Many of the visuals come from two videos, Ugetsu Managatari, 1953, directed by Kenji Mizuguchi, a beautifully photographed ghost story about two peasants who try to seek their fortune, and a National Geographic presentation of the Living Tre Treasures of Japan which profiles several artisans working in various traditional arts, such as cloth-making, sword-making, and, of course, pottery. So, the information and the visuals that he drew from are, he, he drew mainly from these references that he indicates. Alrighty, guys, next time out, Usaki Jimbo Volume 3, Issue 34, cover dated December 1999 from Dark Horse Comics. Talk to you guys then. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives, 3.0, Unported License.